0: Last week, I shared a message uh, called The Source of the Nile. And in this message last week, I spoke about this natural phenomenon and something that is actually one of the last remaining mysteries that we have in the natural world, which is the fact that when you look at the main tributary of the Nile River, the White Nile, we know that it somehow starts somewhere in Rwanda and Burundi and then flows into Lake Victoria and out from there. But nobody knows exactly what point it begins at. Nobody knows what the source of the Nile is. And so you've had all these explorers and all these expedition leaders and all these uh, you know, different geographers, et cetera, that have gone out looking for the source of the Nile, looking for the point of origin of where this mighty river that flows through 11 countries in Africa, bringing life wherever it goes, uh, where that river starts. And we kind of use that as an analogy for how we are or how many people have been on a search for the source of God's power in their lives. People want to know, like, how do I get God's power to be at work in my life? What is the source of God's power? What is the point of origin? And how do I get God, for example, to answer my prayers or to work on my behalf or to to heal me when I'm sick or to provide for me when I'm I'm in lack or when I'm in need? How do we get God to move on our behalf um, in His power? And so I shared a little bit about my own journey, about how I was one of those expedition leaders that went out and said, I want to discover the point of power. I want to discover the source of God's power in my life. And I spoke about three different stops that I'm going to touch on again today. But the first point I got to was my own godliness, and I'm just doing a quick recap for those of you that weren't here last week, is my own godliness. I thought that if I could uh, exercise personal godliness and just stay away from evil things and just live righteously and just do everything well, then surely God's power will flow in my life. The flip side, though, is if I have a bit of a bad week and somebody comes asking me for prayer... I'm like, man, you should have come last week. Last week I had a great week, but this week, you know, I'm struggling. So I don't know if God's power will flow through me. It it made me very insecure. I spoke about godly principles. I thought, okay, maybe God has charged these principles in the Bible with all the power of God so that I I just need to unlock it by applying the principle. But the problem is, is that if you take the principle and remove it from the person of Jesus, it loses its power. Principles are nothing when they're not connected to the person of Jesus. And so I realized it wasn't my own godliness, it wasn't godly principles, and then I thought maybe it's divine associations. Maybe it's the other people that I connect with, because if I'm not living a good enough life, and if I'm not holy enough, and if I'm not righteous enough, maybe by connecting or serving or working for somebody who is, I will get some of that anointing, some of that ability, some of that power of God coming onto my life. And and I thought, okay, so that must be what it is. And, uh, and found that that wasn't true scripturally either. So none of these were the source of God's power in my life. Your own godliness, your ability to apply godly principles, and your divine connections, even though each of those things have value. Let me state that clearly. It is of good value to live godly lives, It is of good value to us. It benefits us to apply godly principles in our lives, especially when we're applying them in submission to Jesus and and from the point of relationship with Jesus. And it is good to have good divine friendships and and leadership in your life. Those things are all valuable, but they're not the source. They're not the source of God's power. They're not where the power of God originates. And what we said is that ultimately the source of God's power comes from the cross. The cross. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The power of God is in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And Paul says this again and again and again. We looked at maybe three or four different scriptures last week where he says, how did you receive the Holy Spirit and His working in your life? He who works miracles amongst you, did you receive it by the works of the law, or did you receive it by faith in what He did for you on the cross? In other words, the Holy Spirit is at work because we put our faith in Jesus. We put our trust in Jesus. The source of God's power flowing into our lives is released through the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that comes by faith, it's by grace through faith. So as we trust in what Jesus did, there's a, there's a, there's a release, there's a, a fount that's opened up, there's a bubbling that comes forth of the power of God in our lives. And that kind of faith, it's more than just visualizing what we want. So when you need a new car, faith isn't necessarily going, I sit in the car, I feel the steering wheel, I change the radio station. It's not just being good at visualizing stuff, right? It's actually trusting in the goodness of God. It's believing in the righteousness that you have in God. It's knowing. The, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Why? Because without us believing and receiving the righteousness that we have in God, it is impossible for us to walk in a pleasing relationship with God. It can only be through grace. And so it's more than just visualizing what we want. It's trusting in God's goodness. It's based in the character of God. And so today I want to talk a little bit about how this relates to our battle with the enemy. How this relates to our battle with spiritual forces of darkness, with uh, demonic power, with uh, the strategies of the devil against our lives. Because if the source of God's power in our lives is not our own godliness or or godly principles or divine associations, but it's the point of the cross. How does that relate to the attacks that we face as Christians and to the, the spiritual things that, that come against us in this life? How does it relate to, to spiritual strongholds and, and spiritual attack? In other words, where does our victory lie? And that's why the message I want to share with you this morning is called The Point of Victory, The Point of Victory. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open up with me to 2 Corinthians 10. I'm just going to read uh, verse 3 in 2 Corinthians 10 this morning. Everybody feeling OK this morning? Come on, won't you look next to look at the person next to you right now, just say, "You look hot." <laughs> and then just turn to your second choice and go, "No, really, you do look hot." <laughs> if you're single, you're welcome. <laughs> second Corinthians 10 and verse three. It says, "For though we walk in the flesh." We're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of these demonic Strongholds. I'm going to talk a little bit about how the power of God, what the point of victory is in our lives when it comes to overcoming spiritual attack and spiritual strongholds in our lives. Before we do that, let's, let's go ahead and pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you so much this morning for your goodness and for your grace and for your spirit that is speaking right now, Lord God. We, this morning, don't want to hear just idle speech, Father God. We don't want to hear the philosophical ramblings of just another person, but we want to hear your spirit speak to us, and we pray that as we hear your word, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, that the power of God would be released in our lives, that our faith would grow, and that we would be more and more confident in what it is that you have done for us on the cross. We give you all of the glory this morning. We give you all of the praise in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said amen. 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 Awesome. So um, like I said last week, Um, we are aware of the fact that there is an enemy. We are aware of the fact that uh, there are demonic powers at work in this world and at work in our lives coming against us. Scripture is very clear about it. And and, uh, again, um, as I said last week, it's easy for people to look at me as a pastor and look at my age and think that I am, am inexperienced around these things or that I haven't experienced... Uh, spiritual attacks, or or demonic possession, or those kinds of things, uh, and and seeing it be real in my life. And so I thought I would start off just by relating one story, of uh, somebody that was uh, that that came into a church. I was preaching at a church in Pretoria, um, in the north of Pretoria, and uh, as I was preaching, I saw this man walking in, and he uh, he kind of sat down and then he left. And then a little while later, he came back and then he left and. You know, he was kind of in and out, so I just carried on preaching, kind of ignoring him. And, uh, and then just before I finished preaching, he left again, and, and, and uh, I didn't see him come back again. And so after I had shared my message and, uh, you know, greeted people, prayed for some people, we went into the side room that's kind of adjacent to the main auditorium, Um, because it was the pastor who invited me to come and speak. It was his birthday. And so all the volunteers and the staff had organized a little party for him. So I'm sitting there at the table with this pastor, um, having some cake. And uh, this guy who was in and out, he comes up to me again. um, And he comes with one of the leaders and says, "I, I need to ask the guy who preached um, a question. I need to speak to him. And normally when people want to speak to you after you've preached, it's either very good or very bad. There's no kind of in-between, you know. They're not like, they're either going to be completely against what you shared, or they're going to absolutely love it um, and, and want to be a part of your doing that, th- what you're doing. That, that's kind of um, the, the range that, that, that you face when somebody wants to speak to you after you've preached. So anyway, so I, I, uh, I get up, and he says he needs to speak to me, and we go and sit um, in just inside of the auditorium. And I'm sitting there and I go, yeah, so how can I help you? And he looks at me and he looks really, really mad. And he says, I'm stop lying to the people. And so I say, okay, um, what part did I lie about? Cause I mean, I said a lot of stuff. So which part did I lie about? Um, and he said, well, um, there is no God. And then he goes, wait, there is a God, but there's no love. And so he kind of like has an argument with himself for a while. Um, and I, at one point, I was like, should I leave you two alone? Um, I'll come back later when you figure this out. But, but essentially, he had, in that moment, was experiencing the torment of demonic possession. And he is hearing a message that he wants to run away from and hear at the same time. And so he sits in front of me, and he just begins to say certain things. And um, at one point, I realized what was going on, so I said, I just want to pray with you, and I, I just laid hands on him, and I just prayed with him, and as I prayed with him, he just started to shout, and, um, and he fell down on the floor. I just kneeled next to him and carried on praying, and at one point, his whole face changed, his demeanor changed, and he looked at me, and he said, what, what are you doing? Where am I? And he got up and looked around, and he had no idea how he came to be in that church that day. Um, he says that he told me he was a concierge at a hotel nearby, and the last thing he remembers is driving home. That's the last thing. And then he wakes up and he's in a church on the ground. The lights are off, and there's some guy, you know, on top of him praying. And um, scary, you know. And and that guy is still a member of this church today, where God set him free from a demonic possession in his life. We see this in scripture, and it's and it's something that I've experienced in the life of unbelievers as they open themselves up to different things. And so I've had, I've heard all of the stories. I've been through all of the the sometimes assumptions and the speculations about what the spiritual realm is and what it isn't and how it works and how it doesn't work and what the ranks are or what the ranks are not and, and, and how you should pray and how you shouldn't pray. I have heard every single one of those stories and ultimately what I wanted to do is I wanted to be informed by scripture as to how we actually gain victory in our lives. I wanted truth to be, uh, what guides me, and not experience or, or conge- conjecture or, or assumption to be, how is it that if demonic power is real in this world, how is it that we can defeat it and can have victory over it? And so I have also, like I explored the, the source of denial, the source of God's power, I've also been on this journey trying to discover the source and apply different tactics in my own life to overcome the devil. Some of you may have applied different tactics in overcoming uh, the devil in your life. And so last week, I mentioned how um, one year in December, they broke into our house just after Christmas and stole our Christmas gifts Um, that was nicely arranged on the table at the entrance, and they broke in and they stole all of our gifts. And so... um, my wife and I, obviously, uh, we, we hated. That was, I think, the first time that we'd ever been robbed properly. I mean, they went through our drawers. They took all of our stuff. And, uh, but one of the things that was really worrying about it was that they also took our backdoor keys. Why do that? Why torment us like that? You know we're going to change the locks, but why take the backdoor keys, which made us think that they were going to come back? Like the plan was, you know, we, we didn't get everything. Let's come back later. And uh, I mean, we were in our early twenties. I don't know what they wanted to come back for, um, but but they uh, but it was frightening to us. And so we installed an alarm. We changed all the locks, um, but we still had this fear that potentially they're going to come back. And so one night we're lying in bed, and I think I don't know, you know, when you're in that semi kind of dream state, I don't know exactly what was going on, but I I, I remember dreaming that the back door slammed shut and all of a sudden the alarm goes off. Like, that's what I dream. And so as I dream that the back door slammed shut, the alarm really goes off, all right? And so my wife and I had locked our bedroom door, but I've got to tell you, like, I was on the bed like this. I instantly went up like that. And if you have ever seen an instant prayer meeting That's exactly what happened. Both of us are up like we had never slept and we're just praying, oh Jesus, we bind the spirit of the, and we're just like binding whatever spirit we can think of. I don't know what spirit operates in robbers but we're binding it. And we're just like up and down because we can do nothing else. Like I don't have a gun. I don't have anything to, to protect myself with. I, if they decide to come through that door, the only thing I can do is to try and take authority in the spirit over these guys. And so we just prayed and prayed and prayed. And, and I, I thought at, 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 at worst, um, what would happen is that they would come to the door and go, okay, no, these guys are obviously busy and then leave, you know. <laughs> so we just went into this instant prayer meeting. And... Uh, trying to take authority over every evil. And then eventually we're like, hey, maybe a good idea. And this is, this is the thing that actually scared us the most. We had just installed the alarm, and it, had, it wasn't linked to a security company. So nobody's coming. <laughs> we're just irritating the neighbors while we're being robbed, right? That's all that's happening. Nobody's coming to help us. And so eventually we phoned the police uh, when we stopped praying. And, uh, and so the police come through, they search the house, there's nothing there, and we try to go back to sleep after that. And so, um, I'm going to relate this just a little bit in a moment, but but we know that the Bible is clear, that there are spiritual attacks on our lives, that the devil does come against us, and that there really is an enemy. And so for me, because I was aware of its reality, it consumed my thinking to a large extent. As much as I said I had faith in God and I trusted in Jesus— I was also fearful that I would perhaps, by doing something or by not doing something, leave a door open to the devil in my life. And so that actually became something that consumed a lot of my thinking uh, in my spiritual life, which, is, which was, um, uh, is the devil going to invade my life? Is the, is the devil going to come in, into my life and, and ruin my family or come into my life and, and steal my goods or, or try and take my life or try and harm me in some way? And so I I thought more about how to fight off the devil than I thought about how to trust in Jesus. And this was the journey that I was on in trying to overcome evil in my life. So because I didn't really know the gospel yet, like I knew what Jesus had done for me on the cross, but I didn't really know what the grace of God and His presence in our lives means, the righteousness and the identity that I had in Christ. How I felt was that if the devil came against, came against me in my life and the alarm went off because he's in, have I linked my life to, to God well enough that somebody would actually show up to help? Just like that night when they broke into my house and I knew that no security company is coming to help. At times I was worried that if the devil came against me in my life, had I done enough to allow God's protection to be at work? to link my life to God's protection. And so because I linked God's power to the three stops that I mentioned last week, I was always worried that I hadn't done enough to warrant God's power being at work and God's protection being at work. And this is normally where, listen to me carefully this morning, the poor theology begins, This is normally where the twisting of Scripture begins. This is normally where we find random Old Testament Scriptures to try and motivate some sort of a practice that is supposed to link us to God's security company, if I can call it that. And that's why when I discovered the gospel, I had to go back. And when God revealed His gospel to me, I had to go back and say, how is God present? How is His power present? And and how is His protection at work in my life? I was caught up into thinking that God is only on my side when I've done everything I'm supposed to do. God is only able to protect me when I've, when I've taken every single step that I'm supposed to take in order to warrant His protection, and it is a lack of faith. It is a lack of trust in who God is and what He feels about you. And so let's look at those um, steps real quick. So the first one that, I've, that I had was personal godliness, I thought that in order to warrant God's protection in my life over demonic attack, if I didn't live right, if I didn't do everything that I was supposed to do, or if I brought certain artifacts into my home accidentally, then I would open a door for demons. Then, then, then demons can have free reign in my life because I did one of those things. I was so worried. As if the blood of Jesus Christ was less powerful than a horoscope. As if the blood of Jesus was, was less powerful than an African mask. Or as if the, the blood of Jesus was less powerful than, than something that I could do in my life. That I could block the blood of Jesus and, and its protection in my life by, by accidentally doing something that I'm not supposed to do. I taught in a Bible college and I taught a subject called cults and false religions. And so I had all of these occultic books and artifacts and things, and I had to keep them somewhere. (laughs) And so I kept them in my library, and then I thought my library was possessed. Like in the nights, the books start flying around, talking to each other, or something's going to happen because I've got these books on the occult in my library. This is because I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know the power of God. I didn't trust in that. And I felt like if I did any of these things that demons would have an unencumbered access to my life and to my possessions, and it's simply not true. The fact of the matter is is that even when we live righteous lives, even when we walk in the fullness of faith trusting in the righteousness that we have in Jesus, we still face spiritual attack. It's not symptomatic. It's not equivalent to okay, you live a good life now everything goes well with you, or you you do some bad things now bad things happen to you. That's not how it works, and scripture is pretty clear on this. In Job one verse eight, we all know the story of Job, but it says the Lord said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil." That's God talking about the kind of man that Job is and says he's blameless, he fears God, he turns away from evil, but he faced attack. We know that Paul speaks about it. Paul believed in the gospel. Paul is the vehicle that God used to share the gospel with the Gentile world, wrote most of the New Testament that we preach from, and yet he says that I was tormented by a messenger from Satan And I pleaded with God that he be taken away, and God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. It wasn't because Paul had done something wrong, it wasn't because Job had done something wrong. It was because we have an enemy in this world that attacks us regardless of whether we've done things right or wrong. So, the point of victory over the enemy in your life is not your own personal godliness. The enemy doesn't have more access to you because you didn't do everything that you were supposed to do this week. You are covered and sealed and protected by the blood of Jesus Christ, which is the grace of God towards us. We are in him, hidden in God. Your life is not free game to the devil whenever you step out of line. And I'm not saying that there's no consequences to actions that are not in line with the truth. When we step out and do things that we don't, there are often consequences that we face as a result of that. Direct consequences. It's not like I tell a lie and then my son breaks his arm. Because I now gave the devil leeway. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? There are direct consequences and God doesn't want us to live that life. He has made us free so that we can live a different kind of life, but the devil doesn't have access to your life according to your actions. The second stop was the godly principles. If you don't live according to divine principles, I believed, then the devil will have free reign in my life. In other words, if I don't read my Bible every night before I go to bed, I'll have nightmares. I'll have nightmares. So I, had, I remember as a child sometimes being worried that the devil was going to attack me and actually taking my Bible and, and, and falling asleep with it like this because I felt like this, this thing is holy, man. These pages are holy. They're consecrated. You have to look at how you put a Bible down. You never throw a Bible down on the ground. And I, and I get that there's some, some good principles in that just in terms of honoring and revering the Word of God. But this is ultimately some leather and some paper that a human being made here on earth. But because I was, listen carefully to what I'm saying, there's nothing wrong with this, but we need to move beyond it. Because I was weak in my faith, I needed this physically. Because I couldn't just believe what it said inside in here, I needed the physical thing to help me. And that's where a weakness of faith will often bring about trying to apply physical things to help the weakness of our faith. And the Bible speaks about this in the book of, of Romans 14. It speaks about how some people choose to observe a specific Sabbath day every day because of the weakness of their faith, or they, do, they choose to not uh, to abstain from certain foods or from certain drinks because of the weakness of their faith, because they think their relationship with God can be affected by the things that go into their mouth or by the, by the things that they do in their life. And so because of the weakness of their faith, we bear with Christians that are still weak, and we're helping them to mature. So if you're in the presence of those that do feel that, that eating or drinking something is incorrect, then for their sakes, abstain out of love. But if you know your righteousness in God, then you, you, could, you could see every day as holy. And to you, it's holy. And so Paul actually writes that those that feel that they need the physical comforts To help their faith is simply because of a weakness, not enough belief yet in what this actually says in the inside, what it actually declares about what God has done for your life. So not the physical thing, but as a kid, I used to fall asleep with my Bible like this if I was scared. We lived in an area that crime was on the increase. In the beginning when we moved in there in the 80s, we didn't even have walls. And then eventually we built walls, and eventually a lot of people were being robbed, and things, was going on in the, things were going on in the area that we lived. And so I used to pray this prayer. I remember it so specifically. I said, God, can you put a box of angels around our house, like a full box? And in my mind, I just imagined this whole box of angels. And then I was like, but what about if they dig underneath? I was like, God... <laughs> Like, I don't know if this is scriptural, but can, can you also put angels underground? I mean, can you just do that? I know, sorry guys, it's not a great, great one for you tonight, but can, can you put some angels underground so that even if they try and dig underneath, they'll, they'll hit an angel somewhere and not be able to make it in? And there's nothing wrong with those prayers. There's nothing wrong with asking God for protection, but it came from a lack of faith. That's why I needed the physical Bible to hold on to. If you don't, Apply the principle of praying before you eat, you'll get fat, right? We all know that. That's scripturally true, right? You need to rebuke those calories, consecrate all the protein unto the Lord. People believe that. If I don't pray before my meal, then somehow uh, I'm going to be affected. If I don't give my tithe by the seventh of every month, then someone's going to cr- clone my credit card. And the devourer is going to spend all my money at Santon, right? So I have to apply the godly principles in order to have the protection. Because God's protection only applies when I'm 100% obedient. Let's be honest, right? I'm going to be, I'll put my hand up, I'll be honest. If that was the case, none of us would be protected. If we were only under God's protection whenever we were 100% obedient, we'd all be fair game. Come on. We'd all be fair game. Now, I'm not saying that godly principles won't protect you. But again, it's direct protection. For example, where the Bible has a principle about debt and not making debt. If you adhere to that principle and don't enter into debt, you can't be persecuted or or prosecuted for a lack of payment. The Bible has a principle about married couples not going to bed angry. And if you apply that principle then your marriage will be better. Your marriage will be protected. You'll be healthier as a couple. And so the Bible has good principles that will actually directly help our lives, but it doesn't either keep or or provide the the protection of God in our lives, specifically when it's related to demonic attack. So how Christians often combat this due to a lack of, of, of faith, as I said now, is to try and meet fire with fire. And I've heard every kind of weird story about how Christians can protect themselves against the devil, because it's about applying principles, so people just keep making up more principles to try and follow. I've heard that if you pour grape juice out at your windows and your doors, you could be protected. If you blow a shofar, that ram's horn thing, if you blow it in your house, the demons will think it's the second coming. Because at the second coming, there'll be a shofar that'll blow. So if you blow it in your house, they're going to go, was that today? (laughs) We're in trouble. And they're going to scatter because you blew a shofar. Making sure there's nothing pagan or unclean in your house. And So I just remember specifically, and I've got to tell you, this is a personal journey for me. Because I remember standing in my bedroom being worried about my family, being worried about my marriage, being worried about my own life, and just praying. But my prayer was more motivated by fear than it was by faith. And I used to stand there praying, going, God, please, just keep the demons. I didn't like my neighbor. Just keep the demons on that side of the wall. (laughs) Like, if I gave up for a moment if I lit up for a moment, if I slipped up for a moment, that the power of the enemy would just pour into my life and that I would just be fair game. I lived in that space of fear. The third stop I spoke about last week was divine associations. When I felt like I wasn't good enough, I felt like if I connected to people that were good enough, then I would be able to uh, experience some of their blessing and some of their uh, anointing and some of their protection. And so I was depending on others for my protection as well. And this is used actually by several different churches or, or, or some churches and, and by some leaders. And it honestly often becomes a form of manipulation. Where they say that as long as you are here with us as as a part of this church, you have a covering. You have a prayer covering or that you have an umbrella of protection. But if you break fellowship with us, then again, you're fair game to the devil. I had people tell me that I would die within a year of leaving a certain church because of how the devil was now just going to have fair game. I was so relieved when it was a year later and I was still alive. I was like, that's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Glad to still be here. I had people speak that into my life. Oh, you broke covering. Oh, you didn't do this. Oh, you didn't do that. And so we see our protection. We once again bring our protection and we connect it to something fleshly instead of something spiritual. Something that is motivated and and, and generated by the power of the cross and God's love for me personally as an individual. Now, there is protection in a church. There is protection in a community. There is accountability. There, is, there, is, there are people that can be with you when you're going through the difficult times, that can help you when you feel like going off the rails, that can stand and pray with you, and there is, there is something so powerful about having people pray with you about a situation. I'm not saying that there's no value in divine associations, but I'm saying that my covering, listen carefully, comes from Jesus. That's my faith. My faith is in Jesus, not in divine associations. Jesus is our covering. He is our protection, and He is our victory. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. There's, all of our sins have been taken away by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That is the demand, the the, the debt that we owed to the law. We broke God's law. We broke and, and rebelled against God's truth. And so there was a price to be paid. The wages of sin is death. But when Jesus went to the cross, he canceled out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. Such a powerful statement there. I'm just, I don't know why. I'm I'm imagining like a credit card account or an Edgar's account that is just kind of racked up because of all the shoes that you've bought. And somebody comes and pays it and takes that account and just like nails it to, I don't know, Edgar's front door. (laughs) This has been paid. That's what Jesus did at the cross. Listen to this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, talking about demonic powers, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it, the cross. The access that the devil had to our lives under sin, when Jesus died for us, he nailed all the accusations that were against us to the cross, and in doing so, publicly shamed and disarmed every demonic force that would come against our lives, triumphing over them in the cross. This is done. They are now my children. They're not yours. They're not for you to attack. They're not for you to destroy. And so once again, the source of God's power, the source of God's protection, is the cross, and our faith in the cross, our faith in the gospel, And this is what happened for me. The moment I realized that Jesus had died on the cross for me and that the gospel uh, had set me free from the debt that I owed and that I was in Christ, that I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, that I was walking in a righteousness that was not my own, there was a boldness that came up in my heart, a faith that rose up and fear dissipated to the point where I now hardly ever think about the devil. I know that he is still around. I know that he is at work. I'm not ignorant to his schemes and to his wiles, but I focus on who I am in Christ, and I know that that's where my protection lies. I don't, I don't need to do weird things because my focus is on Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. I'm still able to discern the works of the, the enemy, but I understand that I am a blood-bought child of God. And that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. There's a maturity of faith that happens there. There's a growing up in your faith where you go, I don't walk in fear anymore. I'm not constantly worried what the devil will do. I heard the story about a pastor who woke up in the middle of the night and there was some demonic power at work in his room, opening up his drawers and throwing his clothes all over the place. And he woke up and he saw what was happening and he said, devil, when you're done, just put everything back the way you found it right? That's kind of the place that I've gotten to where it's like, I know the devil is bringing things against me, but my eyes are fixed on Jesus. Devil, when you're done, God will put it way back the way that he found it. God will be at work. God is my protection. God is the one who looks after me. It's not due to me, but it's due to God. We bring this back to our relationship with our Father, a Father who loves us and who cares about us that's what we have when we put our faith in Jesus. I was recently, two weeks ago, I was in the Kruger with my boys, and Eli and I heard that there were some elephants in the middle of the night at the waterhole just outside the fence, and so we, we got up, we got our torches, and we walked to the waterhole. Now, obviously, it's pitch dark. We're in, a, uh, in in what is like a bush camp, so there's no restaurant. There's no, not a lot of people around, and we're walking through the darkness to the only thing that's keeping us from about a combined tonnage of maybe, maybe 34 tons worth of wild animal is a fence. And, uh, and we've got our torches, and as we're walking there, Eli turns around and he goes, Dad, I'm scared. And I pick him up, and I just remember saying these words to him. I said, Dad, uh, Boy, Dad will never take you somewhere where I cannot protect you. Dad will never take you to a place where my ability is not strong enough to protect you. As long as you're with, with me, you don't need to worry. And that's the truth, isn't it? That God doesn't enter our lives when we have a good score sheet for the week. Oh, you've done well. I'll be in your life 80% now. No, He is in your life because of what Jesus did for you. And Jesus got 100% on that test. So you have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. You house the presence of God in your heart and life and mind. So why would you be afraid? Why would you be afraid? The idea here is we're fixing our eyes on Jesus and not on ourselves. Our faith is in Jesus and not in our own ability. As long as God is with me, as long as the Holy Spirit dwells within me, I am safe. So i face spiritual attack more so since I became a lead pastor of a church than I've probably faced combined in the rest of my life. If you spoke to some of the guys that are close to me, guys like Will and Nungi and, and the friends that we have here, you'll know that the devil has come against our lives. Three months into planting Anchor Church, I felt like our lives fell apart, attacked from every single angle. We felt like Nehemiah, who's fighting the battle on 10 fronts with a, a spade in one hand and a sword in the other, trying to, trying to build and fight at the same time. The devil comes against us, and the Bible says that we, it's very clear in Scripture that whenever the apostles and whenever the disciples went out to do something... They face resistance from, the Bible says, from the devil, from the enemy. So we face resistance, and we, 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 we look to God, and, and that's the thing, that from the time that I've put my faith in, in Jesus, my first thought is no longer, what must I do to safeguard myself? My first thought is to remind myself of who I am in Christ, and the victory that I already have in Jesus, to put my faith in the point of victory, And then I can just focus on relying on God's grace and even learning through the hardships, even learning through the suffering, even learning what it is about God that He's revealing to me through those difficulties. Ephesians 6, verse 11. Well-known verse about the armor of God. And just listen to what it says. And I want you to note verse 11 specifically. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Stop. Did you get that? Be strong in who? Your own ability, your own strengths, your own holiness, your own godliness, your own principle keeping, your, your own divine associations, other people. No. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He has schemes. He has strategies. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. I used to pray this prayer not knowing exactly how to do that, right? That's what I wanted to help you with this morning. How do I put on the armor of God? Because it says, put on the armor of God. And so in the mornings when I prayed, I would go like this, Jesus, help me. I'm just putting on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, not exactly sure how it fastens, but I'm putting it on right now, and I would almost try and act out the putting of the armor of God as if it was just something that if I acted out and believed that I now had on, that it would work for me. But the scripture is very clear that this is not our power, it's God's power, it's God's power. And it comes down once again to faith. You see, every single one of those things, if we can just put that scripture up again for a moment, just go back one. Just go to the second slide for me, there we go. So if we, every single one of those things is related to the gospel, to the cross. The belt of truth, which holds all the armor together, you put on the belt, which relates, it holds every bit of the armor together. The truth of what Jesus did for you on the cross is what holds every every single thing together put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was the most important part of your armor because it protected your vital organs, your heart and your lungs and, and all of your vital organs. And so the breastplate of righteousness, what is it that protects your life from the enemy? It's the righteousness. Is it your righteousness? No, you're not strong in your own self. You're strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It is the righteousness that comes from faith apart from the law. And so we put on the breastplate of righteousness by believing I am the righteousness of God by my faith in. Christ Jesus. Your life's protected. Faith. The shoes for your feet are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There's a a readiness, there's a gospel of peace. You're ready to move, you're ready to walk out, you're ready to do the things that God's called you to do because you know the gospel, the good news of the peace that we have with God. Let's go to that next slide. The shield of, listen to this, faith. Believing in the righteousness that you have in Jesus, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How do you extinguish every attack against your life? Faith. Just believe in who you are in Christ and take the helmet of salvation. You see, where the strongholds demonically, so we talk about demonic strongholds and the pulling down of demonic strongholds, where do they exist? The Bible tells us very, very clearly they exist in our minds. When we're saved, but we still think as if we're unsaved. We still think as if we're in the flesh. We still think as if, as if we're carnal and we're, and we're having to do this in an earthly way. And the Bible says, put on the helmet of salvation, knowing that you are God's salvation, to be saved, to belong to God. You put on the helmet that tells you, I belong to God. And all of a sudden, when the devil throws these attacks against you, you know, but I belong to God. It protects your thinking when you think about your salvation. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the truth of God, the gospel of God, which is our sword. Praying at all times with prayer and supplication. And so all of these are found. They find their strength in the gospel, in the cross. And That's where our strength is. And what we do when we, when we wear that armor Does it say that we put on the armor and then march? No, it says probably about three or four times, it says stand. We don't march. We don't march. As Christians, we don't march. It's not because we're lazy. (laughs) It's because we have faith. We don't march because we have faith. Watchman Nee said this. He says, armies march into other countries to occupy and subdue. God has not told us to do this we are not to march but to stand. The word stand implies that the ground disputed by the enemy is really God's and therefore ours. We need not struggle to gain a foothold on it because victory is His, therefore it is ours. In other words, when the Bible calls us to stand, it calls us to stand on the ground that is already ours in Christ Jesus. And so Watchman Nee goes on to speak in this passage that if you begin to march, you're giving up ground to the devil. The moment you feel you need to march on the devil, you've given him that ground because it was already yours. You just needed to stand on it. And so by the armor of God, by knowing who we are in Jesus, by having the righteousness, by having the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth, we stand on the victory that is ours in Jesus when the devil comes against us. He's trying to push us off the finished work. We just keep standing on the finished work. We, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory through the cross. Stand firm, therefore. I come finally to that scripture. I'm sorry that this teaching and last week's teaching have been slightly longer, but there's actually so much to cover in all of this. But I come again to that last scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not earthly, they're not carnal, but have divine power, mighty through God, to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, where the strongholds that we pull down are, are in the mind. Do you see how they're in the mind? And what we use are not carnal, or earthly, or fleshly weapons, but God's divine power, God's divine truth. We don't wage war according to the flesh, but by the Spirit of God. We destroy these arguments and these opinions. You know, arguments is when God says, "I have something for your life," and then you argue against it. It happened to Adam and Eve when, when, with the very first argument, it's a, it's a rebellious heart towards God, lofty opinions. And so even though Christians, I thoroughly believe, cannot be possessed by any demonic spirit, and even though I believe that demons cannot just have free reign in our lives, we can be subject to strongholds in our minds, to thinking the wrong way about our righteousness, to thinking the wrong way about our holiness, to thinking the wrong way about our relationship with God. And the devil can lie to you. The scripture says that he is the father of all lies, and when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own self. That's who he is. He's a liar. And he will raise arguments in your mind against the power of God. And this is where, and I'm going to, to end off this morning, do a quick illustration, and I wanted to pick somebody that looked like Jesus, and there was no one better than Ray. Where's Ray? Ray, just come forward. In fact, you know what, Ray? He was sound checking. Without shoes, which I was like, that's perfect. You basically are Jesus. And I brought a bed sheet from home to make him look more like Jesus. <laughs> All right. While he's becoming Jesus, this is what my overall message is to you this morning. This is the point that I'm trying to get across and that I'm trying to show you. Are you okay? How well did you just do that? (laughs) He does this at home, I can see. It's perfect. This is what we have. When we lack faith, we rely more heavily on earthly symbols to try and help our lack of faith. And so what happens with us, and we spoke a little bit about about olive oil, for example, Um, last week, and and even though olive oil is awesome, and and there is context in the New Testament to anoint those who are sick when you're praying for them, in the Old Testament, olive oil was used to consecrate things to God, whether that was prophets and kings, or whether it was the artifacts of the temple, olive oil, and not just this uh, one from Pick and Pay, but but, uh, olive oil, that there was a specific recipe that God gave to Moses, and that was the olive oil that was to be used, but it was a symbol in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we can still use it, and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing in the Bible that prohibits us from, from uh, anointing our homes or anointing our cars. I woke up one night, and I couldn't understand why there was like, like something dripping down into my eye in my sleep, and my wife had anointed me in my sleep. She was, like, she was probably like, Jesus, help this man. He needs help. There's nothing wrong with it, but what I want to show you is the contrast Of when we trust more in the oil than we do in the Savior. When this is what is protecting you as opposed to your trust in your walk with Jesus, it's a lack of faith. Now, you can use this to represent what you know Jesus is doing in your life if your faith needs that help. There's nothing wrong with it. But our faith is not in the oil, it's not in the artifact, it's in Jesus. If you've seen the movies, whenever there's zombies and, and, and vampires and stuff, then you need the crucifix or the beads or the, I don't even know what this is, I wasn't raised in it, but, uh, you know, you, they normally have a cross to protect you against. And what happens to those priests? They always get chowed by the zombies. <laughs> because our faith is not in a physical thing, our faith is in what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died for our sins, bought our righteousness with his blood, and so we never put our faith, even though this may represent our faith, you're not going to be protected because you put a cross on your wall. You're gonna be protected because you have Jesus in your heart. You have his Holy Spirit in your life. And even when it comes to the Bible, it's not this physical book that brings protection. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you will find life. But these scriptures are speaking about me. It's not even the physical words on the page. In Hebrews, it says that those in Israel heard the same gospel was preached to them that is preached to us also, but it did not benefit them because they did not mix their hearing with faith. So it's not the physical book. It's not the physical olive oil. It's not the physical beads or the physical crucifix. It's the person of Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. And what I'm trying to say is none of that stuff is bad. It's good to have. But don't ever let it replace your faith in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Because that is the source of God's protection in your life. That is where the point of victory is. Final scripture, 1 John 4 to 5. Look at this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you're still weak or new in your faith and growing and you still need some olive oil and you still need some physical things to help you, that's okay. But where we are heading to as we fix our eyes on Jesus is the knowledge that we belong to Him and that the cross is the point of victory in our lives. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray together.